The following podcast contains explicit language. Tonight I ordered a targeted military strike on the airfield in Syria from where the chemical attack was launched. I would have stayed out of Syria and I wouldn't have fought so much for Assad. This is not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing. I support both the action and the objective. I'm glad that he now sees that these atrocities are war crimes and there needs to be an American response, but you can't do it without Congress. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the liberal humanitarian interventionist Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. We weren't planning to do a show today, but last night Donald Trump started a war with Syria, so we decided we'd better do one after all. I'm not really surprised that Trump started a war on day 77 of his presidency. I am surprised that he started one with Bashar Assad. During the campaign, Trump had a pretty clear message about Syria. It was don't get involved in that mess except to fight ISIS. This made Trump the nominal ally of Assad and the Russians who were helping on Assad's side. Trump has never given a damn about human rights or the half million victims of the Syrian civil war or, needless to say, Syrian refugees. But moved by pictures of children killed by what was apparently sarin gas, Trump has flipped on all of that. He decided to enforce the norm against the use of chemical weapons by launching a missile attack last night against the Syrian military. I think we should avoid the trap of thinking something that we'd otherwise support is bad just because Donald Trump does it or agrees with it. But what does Trump's missile strike actually mean? It's not clear that it represents anything more than a passing urge to punish somebody based on some images he saw. Like a lot of people, I woke up scratching my head about what this apparent reversal means for Trump's foreign policy, if he can even be said to have a foreign policy. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. To help me sort this out, I'm joined by Max Boot. He's a military historian and foreign policy analyst. His most recent book is Invisible Armies. It's a history of guerrilla warfare. And uh, Max, you've also been an advisor to some Republican presidential candidates, I think Romney and McCain, but emphatically not Donald Trump. Definitely not Donald Trump. I have not been a part of the Donald Trump fan club. Uh, I've been appalled and horrified. So you're like a, you're like a, a charter member of the of the Never Trump group, but I think you've also been uh, an advocate of a 
more active response to the Assad regime and Syria. And generally, you're you're quite sympathetic to the idea of this kind of military in- intervention. So where does this leave you? This guy you don't like has just done something which I would assume, knowing you, that you probably kind of support. Yeah, and I and I am supporting uh, what what Donald Trump has done. I mean, I I still have a lot of concerns about his presidency overall, but I think in the case of Syria, he's done the right thing. I think that uh, President Obama made a terrible mistake in 2013 when he threatened a red line over the use of chemical weapons and then did not follow through, which had tremendous not only humanitarian cost in Syria, but also strategic cost uh, for the United States because it really dented our credibility and it, it made aggressors around the world, including Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, think that they could act with impunity and that we would not do anything serious to stop them. So I think that President Trump is is making an important move to reassert some American credibility, to reassert some deterrence, and to send a message to Assad and other aggressors that the United States will no longer be paralyzed and, and afraid to act. But now all of that said, I think that President Trump also has a lot of explaining to do because this is such a head-spinning 180-degree turn uh, from where he's been on foreign policy throughout the campaign in his first couple of months in office. I mean, this is a guy who repeatedly pledged that he would not get into the Syrian quagmire, who showed no interest in promoting human rights, who said that he wanted to ban and tried, in fact, to ban all Syrian refugees from the United States, and repeatedly said that the only thing he wanted to do in Syria was to cooperate with Russia to attack ISIS. All of a sudden now, he's carrying out the kind of airstrike that we that we might have expected President Hillary Clinton to carry out. I don't think he's offered a, a cogent explanation of, of what accounts for this change of heart, aside from, uh, obviously, the, the horrifying video of the Syrian chemical gas strike. But what does this mean for the future of Syria? I mean, what happens when Assad goes back to killing people with conventional weapons rather than chemical weapons? Are we okay with that? Or do we only object to him murdering people with chemical weapons? And what's our position on Assad anyway? I mean, as recently as a week ago, Rex Tillerson was signaling that we were fine with keeping Assad in power, which may have encouraged Assad to carry out this chemical weapons strike. What is our policy in Syria? Is it regime change or something else? And if it's and if it's something else, what is that policy? So. I think this was a good step, but, you know, there's a lot of question marks that are hanging over the the aftermath of this cruise missile strike. So, Max, first, let's just pick up on that point about the mercurial, flip-flop, hypocritical nature of of Trump's reaction. I mean, isn't the, the reality here that he's just used the American military the way he uses his Twitter feed? That is, he saw something on TV, it got him mad, and he launched a missile strike. It may be that this missile strike is one that we would you would support. I would have I would ordinarily support it. It may be a good idea in the context of a rational policy, but in the context of a president who's going to react in this way with military force, and I should say without any authorization from Congress, which Obama felt he did need if he were going to intervene in in Syria, um, it's terrifying. I mean, that's a fair point. It's certainly puzzling because we all recall that in 2013, Trump was highly critical of of President Obama for even contemplating military action to back up the red line in Syria. He repeatedly said we needed to stay out of Syria. It was a dumb idea and that 
if Obama was going to act, he needed congressional authorization. And of course, now here we are, four years later, and Obama and Trump is acting, doing the very thing that he was criticizing Obama, that ultimately Obama did not do in 2013. So, yeah, I, I think you're you're right to be concerned about how does this fit into a larger foreign policy. I mean, I suppose if if you were looking at at, at the glass half full as opposed to half empty, you would say, okay, maybe this is a positive step forward away from this quasi-isolationist America first agenda on which Trump sought office. It's a move away from the kind of foreign policy espoused by the likes of Steve Bannon. And it's, you know, it's an act which is very much in the foreign policy mainstream, which is why you've seen not only Republicans, but Democratic leaders, and I really commend them for this. You've seen Democratic leaders applauding this cruise missile strike as well. But you saw what Rex Tillerson said yesterday. I mean, I thought it was an amazing quote. He said, don't extrapolate a change in policy based on the military activities in Syria today. In other words, we launched the missiles, but don't assume it means anything. We just we, it, we just we were just launching some missiles because the president got mad. It doesn't necessarily have any policy implications. Well, I, I guess the the more benign explanation or the more benign spin would be to say that the primary aim of this of this strike was to reassert this international norm against chemical weapons use, which in fact is what Trump said in his statement and what. H.R. McMaster said in explaining the statement. But, I mean, I think if you look at the ways that Trump is different from Obama, and, and there's a million of them, obviously, but I would say in general, from my perspective anyway, Obama was overly analytical, overly hesitant to act decisively. And so he was often subject to paralysis by analysis. And I think that certainly happened in the case of Syria, where he kept studying it and studying it and studying it, and he couldn't do anything because he kept seeing problems no matter what he did. And I, I, I don't think that's the appropriate uh, stance for a president of the United States. But now Trump is, we're going from one extreme to the other because Trump is certainly, nobody would accuse him of being overly thoughtful or analytical. He's impetuous, he's emotional, he's erratic. When he sees something, he acts. And in this case, I mean, I'm glad he did. I think it was the appropriate response for this horrifying uh, human rights violation committed by the Assad regime. But you do have to wonder, how does this fit into the broader picture, and what does this mean for the future? I mean, I, I heard today, or I saw today, Jeff Goldberg of The Atlantic suggesting that he is, that Trump is an isolationist interventionist, or maybe he's an interventionist isolationist. I mean, I don't know. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense. His foreign policy really doesn't make any sense, which is why I think a lot of his core supporters on the ultra-nationalist right are very disappointed with them, because this is not the guy they thought they were signing up for. Right. But I mean, I think the reality is that you're, you're giving him too much credit, suggesting that he's that there's any foreign policy idea driving this at all. I mean, he's what he is, is a television watching emotional reactor. Right. And what's what's terrifying about that is that while I basically agree with you that this is an appropriate reaction, I think there there is the the norm against the use of weapons of mass destruction, including chemical weapons, should be enforced, although ideally by the international community and not just by the United States acting unilaterally. But imagine the North Korean equivalent of this. Imagine the Chinese equivalent of this. Trump sees something on TV, gets mad and react, reacts and reacts in a case, I mean, we don't ultimately know what all the consequences of this will be, but if this were, if he were 
tangling with Kim Jong-un right now, you know, would be a very different story. I think those are very legitimate concerns, uh, and I share those concerns. The flip side of it is I think that there is a case to be made for the president of the United States instilling some fear in people, more so than, than President Obama did, because he was so hesitant and, and cautious in his use of force. And I, it's it's not entirely a bad thing for America's enemies around the world to be worried about what is the guy in the Oval Office going to do. He's capable of using force and using it quickly with with little warning. So, you know, that that's not a bad message to send to our enemies. But I think there is also a, you know, an element of predictability that you need in American foreign policy to reassure our allies and to and to set out clear red lines. Because if we want to deter bad behavior, we need to be clear about what kind of behavior we're going to respond to. I think that's important to to prevent conflict, and that's I think that's the big weakness of the Trump administration right now. It's not clear why, after all the previous atrocities in Syria, Trump chose to react to this one, or what that means either for the future of Syria or for the use of U.S. force in other places around the world. And I think it's very important for the administration and, and preferably the president himself to lay out some kind of Trump doctrine and foreign policy to explain what their current thinking is, as opposed to the kind of stuff that that Trump said over the course of the campaign. But, you know, ultimately, you may well be right, you know, Jacob, because maybe maybe that's impossible for a a president as impetuous and erratic and as shallow as Donald Trump. Maybe, Maybe he can't, you know, be bound by any kind of analytical thinking or or theoretical concepts or any kind of rules. Maybe he just acts on the spur of the moment. If that's in fact the case, and there's a lot of evidence to indicate that, I think our our best reassurance comes from the fact that there are people like H.R. McMaster and Jim Mattis who are around him and who will modulate and and channel his desire to to strike out. And, And in this particular case, the, the military option they chose was a pretty low-grade one, pretty low-risk, and uh, pretty measured. And one thing they did with this tomahawk, tomahawk missile attack on the Syrian military base, they warned the Russians, because there would have been Russian advisors and Russian military who were allied with Assad at that base, and it certainly looks like the Russians, of course, warned the Syrians. So it's a weird kind of missile attack where you basically tell everybody to get out of the way before the missiles strike. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of the kind of tomahawk missile attacks that uh, President Clinton launched against Iraq, against Sudan, against Afghanistan, for which Republicans at the time criticized them for being such a measured and, and low-level use of force. I also have to laugh, by the way, at, at the fact that, in fact, the Trump administration did warn the Russians who warned the Syrians. Because you will recall that Trump has spent more than a year lashing out at the Obama administration for supposedly telegraphing its military actions, for losing the element of surprise. Trump repeatedly said during the campaign that Generals MacArthur and Patton would be rolling over in their graves because the U.S. signaled ahead of time the Mosul offensive or other military actions. Well, I think he's he's maybe growing up a little bit in office and he's learning that, yes, it's nice to have the element of surprise, (laughs) but sometimes there are other priorities that supersede that in this case, for example, avoiding a conflict with Russia. I mean, I think it probably made sense to warn the Russians, even if it meant sacrificing the the element of surprise. But in the process, of course, 
you know, this is another head-spinning bit of hypocrisy on, on the part of President Trump. Max, just as a last question, I wonder what you think about the whole question of uh, authorization and unilateralism versus multilateralism. So as we were saying, when this came up with Obama's red line in 2013, when he at least contemplated, I mean, there had been missile strikes in Syria, but he thought it was necessary to get Congress to authorize it, which they didn't seem likely to do. And he also wanted to go in with allies. And he did, as I remember, line up David Cameron and the British to su- support if there had been a response to that Syrian uh, use of chemical weapons in 2013. Trump didn't do any of that. He doesn't think he needs any authorization. It seems like he hasn't asked for any authorization. And he didn't try to get any allies on board. Is it, do you think, I mean, you talked about the value of the, you know, the, the element of, of showing American, uh, resolve and willingness to act. Do you think it's impossible to act in this kind of situation with A, authorization and B, allies helping you? I mean, I'm certainly in favor of getting congressional authorization and getting allies where you can. But I think you can make the case that in this particular case, there was an element of time involved that you wanted to have the response come right after the chemical weapons attack, and there simply wasn't time for an elaborate debate in Congress or for uh, a lot of consultation with allies, although the, it does seem as if the allies are, are certainly on board with this with this action. But I think, I, I think it would be a mistake to pursue it unilaterally, and I think it would be a mistake for Trump to act without a congressional authorization for, for the use of force. What would, you, what would be your prediction about the outcome of this, Max? Do you think this is likely to lead to an engagement in Syria of exactly the kind Trump said he didn't want and being drawn in? Or do you think we'll look back on this as a weird anomaly, just the missiles Trump launched that didn't end up having much impact on anything? You know, who the hell knows? It's Donald Trump. I mean, he is, I mean, you've already seen this guy who campaigned on this America first quasi-isolationist foreign policy acting within three months of taking office like, you know, the kind of neocon warmongers that he wants to announce. <laughs> so who can possibly predict what he is going to do next? I mean, it's fascinating and horrifying at the same time, but it, it's so hard to know where he's going. I've been speaking to the military historian and foreign policy writer Max Boot. Max, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. June Thomas is the managing producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.